0: Welcome back, everyone, to our weekly webinar series. This is actually our 35th edition today, so we appreciate uh, the support for the last 35 weeks. Hard to remember back to when we started this, I think back in March, which our first ones. uh, We're still talking about the same topic, successful strategies for shaping your future, trying to help all of you uh, through the COVID crisis, which continues. The session continues to be sponsored by Club Solutions. Ursa and Rex Executive Roundtables. I'm Brent Darden, and this week, we're doing a little bit different. Uh, we've invited two really impressive guest panelists to, to join us, and we're talking about all the things that we've sort of talked about over the course of the last several months, highlight some things for you that we think were maybe uh, the most useful and helpful, and also talk a little bit about the situation we're in now and where we go from here. So joining me, As they have every single week, first, we have Blair McHaney, who's the CEO of MXM and the owner of the works of Wenatchee and Bill McBride, who's co-founder, president and CEO of Active Wellness and our special guest this week. uh, The power behind these webinars, since we've been doing them all this time, uh, first is Rachel Zabonik-Chanik and Rachel is the editor in chief at Club Solutions and she's just done a great job what what did i say something wrong okay look so i've known
1: brent forever and he mispronounced my last name in the first six first what four bill the first four it's Zabonic chonko
0: yeah what'd i say (laughs) (laughs) something close well let's say i know her as rachel (laughs) hi everyone And uh, Rachel's the Editor-in-Chief at Club Solutions, and uh, really, from the beginning, before we started partnering with Ursa, has put the meetings together, helped secure the panelists, run the show behind the scenes, make sure everything goes off well, uh, and kept us all in line, I guess, uh, if you want to say that. And then Christine Ulatowski is with Ursa; She's the Education Manager there. If you've been to any of the conventions, trade shows, uh, educational sessions, webinars, et cetera, that IHRSA has been putting on, Christine's responsible for a lot of the content and selection of the speakers. And uh, since we partnered between Club Solutions, Rex, and IHRSA, Christine's jumped on board and been helping as well. So. Thrilled to have both of you uh, today, and we're going to do this a little bit differently. I'm going to ask some of the questions, but I'm also going to let Christine and Rachel ask some of the questions as well. Uh, Bill, I'm going to let you start, actually, because you actually did a review of all of our past sessions and looked at the notes from uh, the last several months and shared them with all of us. So... One, can you tell people what you said earlier about where they could find these notes and how useful you thought they were? And then we'll
2: start from there. Yeah, I'm going to kick that over and start with Rachel. Rachel and uh, and the Peak Media Club Solutions team have made notes after every single show and posted those online, as well as you can re watch or watch each week's recording. Um, so there's a, a one page place to get all the previous shows and all the notes. Rachel, can you tell them where to get that?
3: Yeah, so it's on the Club Solutions site. If you go to the homepage, there's a webinars dropdown and you'll see a tab for successful strategies for shaping your future and you can find it there. And then I'll also make sure that that link is included in the article recap for this session as well.
2: Yeah, well, last night I went through every every session that we've all done um, with the great panelists uh, that we've had on the, on the webinars. And um, we've covered a lot of ground in 35 weeks and a lot of it is still relevant to what's happening now again today with this next round of restrictions ordinances and closures. So if you missed some of the sessions um, you know you can you can go look at them by topic and uh, and there's still some I think some very valuable content from our panelists uh, and that's worth uh, taking a look at.
0: Okay great and um so Christine, uh, as you've kind of listened to these webinars and helped put the panelists together, we talked about covering a few topics this uh, today on the webinar, and we've decided kind of as a group we we want to talk about stuff that's really relevant today. But as we look back over the history, what are a few of the topics that came to the to the top of the heap for you as far as stuff that you thought was just really compelling and really helpful?
4: Yeah. Well, thanks, Brent, for having both me and Rachel on. It's great to be joining you guys this week. Um, I mean, I think when we were looking at the different topics, we, went, we took the feedback of the audience and really took the ideas that were coming out of the audience, and that's how we chose topics for the webinars. But when we're thinking about current topics that are still relevant, I, I really feel that virtual fitness continues to be the, the hot trend. And we always think, well, oh, I've heard that, You're right? I've heard it enough times, I know what I'm doing. But there's seems to be that there's always another nugget of information that's out there. So uh, that's probably the the leading topic for me. And I think my question for for you guys, I think we'll just start there. Virtual fitness has been so popular and it continues to be extremely relevant. What have we learned so far um, in the space since March? How has it evolved? Where is it going?
1: Can I jump in on that real quick? Go ahead, Blair. I was on a panel this morning uh, and with Chuck Runyon, who I thought just did a, a awesome job of kind of talking about this. And w- one of the things that Chuck said this morning was, uh, if you don't know, by the way, Chuck Runyon is CEO of Anytime Fitness. So if you, if anybody out there didn't know that, uh, one of the things that Chuck said this morning is about you know completely rethinking the, the journey and understanding that 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 the consumer, and this aligns with our thinking, that just buying a gym membership is a bad strategy for getting in shape it's a good tactic but it's part of a much broader strategy and that's what chuck was speaking to and saying you know we just have to accept that there are great ways to augment your health club membership and that virtual is going to be a big part of that and how and how do we deliver enough touch points in enough ways that we're actually really it's not and and bill would hit on this about virtual a lot make sure that you're productizing this it's not just a simple tactic out there how are we using it to help every one of our customers have actually a coherent strategy that allows them to get in shape because chances are the number of visits per week are going to be about the same as they always been or maybe even a little less now as people have discovered other ways to train So i think virtual as that real enhancement to help somebody with their own wellness strategy so that it's not just a uh, a tactical, we also have this included in our membership. Allows us to be more thoughtful about it.
0: Yeah. I agree. Bill, you want to add on to that?
2: Yeah. I, you know, Christine, I, I love where you're going with the virtual. That is a, that was a game changing um, acceleration in our industry. Um, but I think there's, there's two other things in that genre of product, if you will. And Blair's hit on a lot the outdoor spaces. Yeah. And reconfiguration of current spaces. And I really like what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with regard to personal training pods, areas, you know, irrespective of COVID, areas of personal trainers obviously train in that you can point to and say, this is one of our training pods when you're presenting personal training. So I think reconfiguration of spaces, the outdoor and the virtual, all three of those kind of go together for me as new concepts and um, innovation with regard to at least acceleration.
1: And, I, well, and Bill, on that, on your note about the pods, and- as it's even if even the pods just as a general member experience thing not even necessarily about safety once this goes away because yeah. you know in member feedback people hate it when trainers are doing small group training out on the floor and tying up stuff one of the things that we're seeing people like those pods, and it's going to go beyond the safety piece right this is how we like that you just said right this is how innovation occurs you do things out of some sort of other need And pretty soon you start to discover that it's addressing other latent needs and i think that's i think that's dead on i think that's spot on it's true about the outdoors. it's going to be true about the pods there's a lot of stuff coming out of this that is just really going to help us innovate this model
2: yeah without belaboring the point i'm sorry christine no it's okay go ahead without belaboring the point how many times have you heard i can't get any more clients at peak hour because there's no space members or we're too crowded with members or you know, a member tried to cut into a client working out and, and the trainer's taught to be hospitable and service oriented. But the client's going, I pay for this extra, you know, so it takes away all of that stuff.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And just yesterday I saw there's a uh, the, in the concept of repurposing space bill. The, there's a local cycling studio near me that was already struggling because they had such a small space. They've repurposed their lobby and they've been able to add. I think four or five bikes in the lobby and they took the feed from the main room and just went through a projector. So in a way they're having a virtual experience but it is on site just within the lobby. So yeah. it's it's making it easier for people that don't have a bike at home but still want to take the class and the classes are filling up so quick because they only have you know they went from 25 bikes in the room to 8 and now they've got these four additional spaces and it makes makes a huge difference just to have those four.
0: Right, right. Yeah, Rachel, what about you? I mean, uh, you've also hosted several webinars. I know you've written several articles, actually, about the digital world. Any tips for people around that?
3: Yeah, I think the only other couple points that I would add would be um, just to remember that, um, you know, really your members just want to maintain that connection with your instructors and your personal trainers. And so oftentimes... Um, the quality doesn't necessarily always have to be as great as what they would expect from Peloton or some of these other really high-tech companies Um, and I I think that a lot of clubs saw that that the members just really want to maintain that personal connection with their instructors and they can do that through Zoom or some of the you know other technologies that don't necessarily have the highest quality of video feed all the time Um, and then also as in terms of a long-term strategy obviously You know, virtual fitness has been really key for maintaining that connection during shutdowns, Um, but it's also going to be great in the long term for maintaining connections in the future for your members who, you know, maybe leave or move away. I'm seeing a lot of clubs talking about how virtual is just helping them extend their reach, um, which they wouldn't necessarily have been able to before.
1: And I want to add on on that, one of the things that I've said this before, one of the things that people love about virtual is not necessarily the virtual, it's the option to have the virtual. What people love is being in in, in the club, and I brought this up on the, on the pre-call, there was a very significant event that occurred yesterday in the world, and for the first time since the pandemic started, a large sporting event was completely sold out with no masks and no social distancing. And I think about fifty thousand people was the sellout, and it was in Australia, and it was a rugby match, and and they had it on Sports Center this morning, and that's the only channel I did is ESPN. No, that's it. Uh, <laughs> that and CNBC, and uh, it was amazing to see people get together and how excited they were, and it reminded me that this is what people need, and this is. What people are missing, and Christine, on the before we started, you said there's probably a little bit of shock in this, right? And you could all it almost looked like that. And I and I think that once kind of start to get to the other side of this, that what people love is it being in, in the club. What we've discovered when we were open, we just had to close again two days ago. Wow, all of our classes are full, big deal, right? You have six bikes in there um but we had a member ask us well could you do a private cycling session for me and some friends so now we're doing we were doing sort of a secret menu of feed-based classes and bill brought this up i I could probably go through bill's notes and find where he brought this up you know is there an opportunity to do some of these fee-based classes and then you have the ones that are also included in membership so now we've brought out um the semi-private hot yoga the semi-private cycling we're going to do semi-private body pump and it's all around this idea of sort of you know off the menu things that you can find but it's a uh, but it's fee-based
2: yeah
3: one other thing i'd probably add to that is like when you're talking about virtual i think a lot of people oftentimes think about fitness but you're also seeing a lot of clubs be successful with other offerings like nutrition um wellness coaching you know, just various other programs. So don't limit yourself to thinking about just fitness programming that you can offer virtually. I know Sacco Sport and Fitness was doing telemedicine billing with their registered dietitians. And that was a really key for them maintaining revenue throughout the shutdown. Um, so I think that's another thing clubs can think about or can think about.
2: Yeah,
4: right. And I great. was actually thinking about that for mm-hmm. um uh, fundraisers too. I mean, a lot of our communities are kind of you're losing out on your opportunities to do fundraising events because we can't have events. So I think those fee-based classes are a great way to to kind of you know put a placeholder on for this year and, and stay involved in your community.
0: Yeah, yep. so can we uh, switch gears just a little bit? Blair, you mentioned that you're shut down again. Um, there are a lot of states that are in the same boat. Um, of course, Washington State, Oregon, um, Michigan, uh, Philadelphia, uh, Ohio, there's others that are, you know, being shut down and pending shutdown. Of course, I left off California, which is still trying to open and shut down depending on what county you're in. But as that's happening with clubs, what are what are some thoughts that uh, all of you have about this recent shutdown and how clubs might react, uh, particularly if it's different than the first time around?
1: Well, I mean, since it, since it's, you know, happening here right now, and I'm, and I, you know, the the president of our fitness alliance here, and and we're in constant communication with Governor Inslee's uh, team. Um, I'll just tell you that it, that the decision making by state is is so vastly different, and to read the notes from the oregon lobbyists about the governors um, how they're making decisions about this lockdown it has nothing to do with where outbreaks are coming from right. it has to do with the category they're calling entertainment where fitness rolls up under entertainment and the thing that oregonians want to go out and do it's not about outbreaks they're saying it was explicit that they would take away the things that oregon's are craving to do in order to get the behavior they want um that's a bit frightening right Right. when um and so we're trying to get to the bottom of it here in in our state of of what the decision making process is because you know because they're not utilizing data and our local officials are going crazy here because of they know where cases are coming from and where they're not coming from and they're closing down everything where they're where they're not coming from i would say that if if the least you could do is send money to your uh state That's the lowest bar to take action to try to, to try to prevent anything from happening. Every person can contact their own district's legislators and departments of health and and give them your personal story and any information that you have.
0: Yeah, and if I could add on to that, um, I agree with that statement. There's only about 16 states that actually have formed formal alliances thus far. Uh, so if you don't have a state alliance, then You know, reach out to Ursa. We've got the resources, the letters, the research, the data uh, to help support those efforts, and it's readily available. I mean, literally, the click of a button, we can send you about everything you would need to uh, plead your case to the local officials and the governors. And Ursa, by the way, has already sent letters to all the governors of every state, including that information. One of the most frustrating things, if I could, uh, since we're doing the panel a little different today, I get to talk a little bit more, (laughs) is, uh, you know, I was, uh, I sat in on all of the Rex roundtables over the last two and a half days, which I think that's been 11, and heard the discussions that are happening around uh, all the different states that they represent, and there's a lot of frustration there, and we're hearing at URSA, and also just uh, anecdotally, that the plea just as you suggest blair they're often saying oh wait a minute we know clubs are not the problem we've seen enough research we've seen the data we've done our own contact tracing right in our own collective state health departments we know that it's not really being transmitted in clubs you're still closed down right so you know the rationale is uh, i think there's 1314 counties in the united states and uh i'm sorry three thousand one hundred and forty two counties in in the united states and they're all operating under a little bit of a different mindset depending on who's making the decision and that's part of Mm -hmm. where a lot of the frustration you know comes from is because there's no consistent theme about who's making the decisions or why
3: Yep. Yeah. If I can share just like one like kind of bright spot, though, is I do feel like if clubs can it get, get in partnership with their metal community, medical community, they are seeing a little bit more success with staying open. I think Chicago is a great example of that. Um, Mel Kleist from East Bank Club was integral in getting in touch with the Chicago Medical Society and forming a partnership with them so they could advocate for clubs. Um, and in the recent stay-at-home advisories, the mayor of Chicago actually said that gyms were excluded because of that recommendation from the Chicago Medical Society. So I know a lot of clubs are, you know, really worried about second shutdowns. And I think a great thing that you can do is is start to form those relationships with your medical community so they can be advocates on your behalf. Well, yep. this, this
2: goes back to what is a health club? Um, is it recreation? If so, let me put you with the alcohol, right? Let me put you with bars, restaurants, clubs, nightclubs, whatever. Um, is it personal care? Okay, well, now I'll let you go with the licensed personal care industry. Is it wellness? Okay, medical wellness, right? So this goes back to our, one of our industry situations is where do we belong in the uh, in the essential business continuum, right? And so uh, in California carves far, out personal care. Um, so, you know, you got clubs now go, well, you know, one-on-one personal training is more like personal care than densely populated health clubs with classes, right? So, can you do one-on-one personal training even though you're close to the general public? Does that fit into the California, the way they work? So, you know, part of this is what industry are we identified in?
0: Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Yeah. Um, Blair, I know you've uh, produced a video actually just sort of sharing the same message that I shared in an overview of, wow, the data just doesn't support the clubs being shut down again. Not only the data that MXM has done, the data that Ursa has done, the data that other universities and international partners have done, but their own data. The state's own data does not support it.
1: Yeah. So I, uh, and I'll just tell you, I, uh, on, on a Thursday morning, we had a meeting with one of uh, um, with one of Governor Inslee's main policy advisors um, at about eight o'clock in the morning. Myself and Bruce Beckett, our um, our lobbyist, and and he was very complimentary of the, of the fitness uh, segment and said we don't anticipate any rollbacks there. Cases are climbing. That was on Thursday. On Saturday, I was advised that they were still meeting all through the weekend. I got a call at four thirty or five o'clock saying fitness was going to be completely shut down. That was not a pleasant call i I wouldn't want to have been that guy calling me at that point um so and then so then by sunday when the press release when or the press conference that governor insley did we had queued up a letter in advance so hit send on that and so as he finished his press conference i i summarized the letter and then started to call out everything that we had had sourced it's about a seven minute video we put it out on the Washington Fitness Alliance Facebook page, and at last it had just 110,000 engagements and over a thousand shares on it, and it's gone to every single legislator, uh, both Democratic and Republican caucuses in in the state, and uh, some of our local folks are now have now viewed it, and and now what we're doing when people contact the washington fitness alliance and say how can i help i'm giving them a link to that video and a copy of our letter and saying contact your contact your local your the legislator in your district your local departments of health and insist that they watch this video and make sure we're in the conversation what we're not going to do is send out a massive communicate to all of the i'll call them end users right the the members of our clubs because that really backfire on you but as long as people are asking us we're you know we're going to give them give them this information. I'd encourage you to go to that, not because I, like, I'm i so sick of hearing my own freaking voice I could throw up, but I would encourage you to go and just watch the video to see why is it getting that much engagement? And um, especially as a seven minute video. So, uh, and then think about how you can start to communicate that way too, because it's so much easier to send a link to a video and ask somebody to say, please watch this than it is right. to send them a five page letter.
0: Right. Yeah. Agreed. So what have uh, what have we learned having gone through the last shutdown and we've been running these webinars again every single week trying to help people through it that we might take a little bit of a different approach to this time around. We've touched on the digital um, factor. What else comes to mind as a highlight? Uh, maybe Christine or Rachel, let one of you start that.
3: Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes clubs made initially was thinking that this was going to be a temporary thing. A lot of clubs really thought that they were only going to be shut down for two weeks, you know, a month max. Um, And now we're realizing that we don't know the end date for this particular pandemic. Um, And so you really kind of have to plan accordingly, which means you don't know what to plan for. I think that was definitely a huge Thing that's different though now is that yeah we just don't know when it's going to end so you need to be making sure that you're just planning for not knowing when things can be back to normal.
0: Yep, great point. All right, Bill.
2: Just to add to what Rachel said, the Wall Street Journal just had an article out this past week. 300 businesses that got $500,000 or more in PPP money have closed and filed bankruptcy. Um, So, to Rachel's point, that affected over 23,000 employees, um, and that number is continuing to rise. So, you know, a lot of people spent a lot of their money right out of the gate. They kept full staffs going. Um, So if there is another round, um, assume that we've got a long road ahead of us and be very conservative with your cash flow and your spend. Um, and pay very close attention to the next round of, of stimulus opportunity. But uh, 300 businesses that got a half million dollars or more in PPP money have now filed bankruptcy and or been closed. Um, that's that's a huge number of money, you know, people that got funds. Yep.
0: Right. Yeah, if I could add on to that, you know, we just completed another uh, sort of quick research project uh, with the URSA team with Rick Caro's help. Uh, as well as the payment processing companies. And what we did is we looked at, uh, we got data from all the major payment processing companies, ABC Fitness Solutions, uh, Daxco, and all of their sort of affiliates, MindBody. And we asked them what clubs, how many clubs have closed uh, since the pandemic started as of the end of October. And it's 15% of health clubs have already closed as of the end of October. Now, that includes big box gyms, studios, right? It's across the board, all different types of clubs. But that's a hard number. Permanently. Permanently, yeah. Permanently closed, uh, 15%. And as we sort of extrapolate that out uh, across the rest of this year, the final two months of this year, we're fully expecting that to grow to about 20% or perhaps even higher. Uh, and as we see some of the major companies that have you know, filed for reorganization, et cetera, uh, we know that that's only gonna add to that list. And to Bill's point about uh, you know, managing your cash really tightly, we're also worried about people that are sort of hanging on by a thread and hoping in January they'll get a rush of new members and new, uh, new business that it may not quite be enough. So on balance, uh, by the time we get to the end of this pandemic, it easily could be twenty-five, twenty, twenty-five percent of the industry uh, that's mm-hmm. not reopening. I yeah. think it'll
1: be higher. Yeah, uh, but
0: you're, you're you're predicting more like thirty, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. but if you can't, you know, if um, if you do get out the other side of this, right? And, and right. if you if you do, I think the opportunity is going to be massive. For those that come out the other side of and it certainly depends on your market right some people are in markets where maybe 30 percent of their competitors have closed you know that's certainly not true in the in the wenatchee market but you know that's uh you know but it is going to be true in 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 some markets and there's going to be you know huge opportunity out there and and a different mindset from the consumer i believe if we get this right
0: Yeah, no, I agree. There's pent up demand and there's also, you know, greater opportunity for members. We, we were, we've talked about for years uh, as I've given presentations, you know, not just in the U S but around the world, every club operator you talk to says, Oh, we're oversaturated. There's just a ton of competition. So I think the industry, although we didn't wish this on ourselves, needed a little bit of a contraction to get the balance of the number of potential members and the number of clubs available. To balance out a little more and well the pandemic's certainly helping us address that issue but not just in the way we want it unfortunately yeah yeah yeah,
3: yeah. i'll
1: tell you what i'm doing different in this second shutdown i don't have any I, I have no uh no guessing about what my members wanted going into it right i mean the, the 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 clarity that we got over the six weeks in our member feedback was phenomenal i think our i think our trailing six week because that's all we had Uh, net promoter scores are about 91 you know And, and it is so clear that the stuff we did was exactly uh what they wanted wanted us to do so um a lot of clarity from this right now
2: um can can i can i say something about that sure brent um yeah and this isn't an mxm commercial by any means but um the mxm tool that blair made available with the shutdown survey was unbelievable as far as what it told us the voice of the customer what the customer was saying there's other things in that product that are huge with regard to what we're trying to do one is one of the things i learned about this whole thing is we believe a lot of our own press about how great we do for society and wellness and health um a lot of other people out there don't believe that um they think we're a frivolous industry that has very little significance in lots of ways and um so reputation management blair calls it you got to over professionalize your competition well we got to over professionalize all other businesses right? right and and um and so but embedded in the mxm is you learn who your best customers are and you learn people that love you but don't like their fitness results you get targeted who i should be selling personal training to um you get to review Your best customers get to give you reviews on Google. And reputation management is critical here. Your best customers get to refer out of the platform to other people that are like them, which have a high conversion rate. So, you know, this voice of the customer, member experience management stuff that we talk about a lot here in other places, it's not just about operationalizing feedback. It's about reputation management, identification of best customers to solve more solutions and getting referrals. So you really gotta get close to that customer coming out of this, because yeah. it's even more important than it's ever been. And um, you know, without blowing too much sunshine at, at Blair's product, um, that tool does all three of those things, retention, sales, and reputation management. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, that's true.
0: Good point. So Christine and Rachel, what are some things that y'all know have been discussed uh, a lot about doing perhaps a little bit differently or how do you see this shutdown being different from the one we first experienced back in March
4: I actually have a question for Blair I want to go back to your video real quick Blair did you say that you're not sharing that with members
1: um, no I would I would be willing to share that with my members what we're not doing is trying to do a massive campaign out to our members to say hey members take this and put it in their inbox um, and we were advised that that would be a bad idea if they if if the governor's office said, well, for God's sakes, we've been talking to these folks at the Washington Fitness Alliance, and now they're actually flooding us. They they just said that when you do that, it's hard to get the conversations back. Other than that- Right,
4: I see
0: what you're saying. And Blair, I I see see a chat in the chat box. Where would they find that video that you said they could see? Where where would they go find it?
1: Uh, Go to uh, Facebook and search Washington Fitness Alliance. Uh, It's on our our Facebook page.
0: Okay, and another one, just real quickly, Rachel, and then I'm coming back to you, Christine. How long will the the review notes be up about all the webinars? Somebody asked that in the chat.
3: Yeah, for the foreseeable future. We don't have any plans to take it down or put it behind a wall or anything.
0: Okay, great. All right, Christine, sorry.
4: No, no worries. I just think we were on a little bit of a thread talking about members. Um, And the reason I asked Blair about that video and kind of how he was utilizing it with members is, I feel like I've seen very few but very successful clubs kind of using their members as a rallying cry, you know, not just industry people saying, you know, we need to stay open, but also going to their members and saying, we need to stay open. And you know why, because they're the loyal member. So I don't know if Bill, Blair, Brent, Rachel, if you guys have have seen that, I really only can think of maybe two cases where I've seen that, and it's created a good feeling within the industry, and I think a lot of traction from the general public. So I was just curious if, if others have seen that.
1: Bill? Yeah, I, I've seen, I have seen some people activating their membership base. We do regular videos out to our membership base that look very similar to the one that we did kind of out to the industry in the state as a whole. And people do share those a lot. And so I'm all for doing that. The thing I'm just cautious about is sending them a link that says, you know, hey, everybody, you know, send them an email here, right? And then you have all of us, you know, anyway, that could be, they don't like that very much. But I do really, yeah. Yeah, I mean,
3: I do know, I was going to say, um, I know Scott Gillespie from Saco Sport and Fitness is a big advocate of using your membership membership base um, again, just like the medical community to advocate on your behalf. Um, clubs do serve you know a lot of people. And if we can rally all of those individuals um, to share the message that exercise is essential, I think we can make a much bigger impact than it just being club operators saying that.
2: I think there's two different things there. Um, one is letting your members know your standards, your credibility, that exercise is essential, and in, in informing and educating them on that overall messaging. And then there's the other call to action: go call your congressman and tell him I sent you. You know, so those are two different things. So I agree with what Scott's doing, and and I agree that we need to educate our members about the essential nature and, and get that good news, credibility, professionalism out there. But i also agree with blair you don't want to cause your legislators to go on the defense with you you want to keep them engaged so you know attacking them with campaigns um, with your members is is probably not not uh not the best strategy in most markets now if
1: they ask you if you have now this is now if a member comes and says hey how can i help you give it you say here's a link to the video. Here's the letter. Please contact the local legislators, contact our commissioner, contact the Department of Health. And you make those tools available. It's just a little touchy if you try to do a mass campaign and there they are with nothing. And then suddenly it's like, you know, in other words, what they start to do is say, are these people really interested in this? Or did they just make it so easy for them to do it that they got a lot of people, right? I mean,
2: that's that's sort of the calculus that the the analogy is when you get a bad google review from a member that never told you they had a problem Mm -hmm. you normally get irritated like why didn't you come to me and tell me before blasting me out there right it's (laughs) the same thing i'd rather have the personal relationship than you blasting me without talking to me right they'd rather have the conversation with you rather than you blasting them you know it's the same kind of concept I will say this too. If you're
1: involved in your state, if you're, if you're a club owner operator, if you're involved in your state in, in, in the fight, you know, for, for fitness, um, you should tell that story to your members. Be communicating. I was blown away how many times members came in and said, thank you for being out there. Thank you for, you know, being part of this and trying to make something happen. So it's great to use the tools out to your members that are saying, hey, here's what we're getting from Ursa. Here's the messaging that we have and to share that out there. But if you're involved in the fight, you go tell your members how you're fighting for them and make sure make sure you do that frequently. Tell them how you're fighting for them. It makes a difference to them. It makes a big difference to them.
0: Yeah, and if you don't know or you're unsure who to reach out to in your state, Ursa has all that information already at hand readily available as far as who's the person, how, what's their email, how do we get in touch with them? So if you're not, uh, to Blair's point, already actively involved in your state, or even if you are, uh, there's research available to help support those efforts that they're discussing. So guys and girls, what do you think about, you know, it's a desperate time for some people. They're literally thinking, you know, if I get shut down again, I may not come back. And some of them are are talking about staying open and uh, not listening to the local guidelines. Uh, bill i know we were talking um, on our roundtable uh, meeting yesterday a little bit about that can you share a couple thoughts and just concerns about that approach
2: yeah i mean i think um looking at the ordinance in your county and seeing if there's any wiggle room based on carving anything out like can you be personal care and still do personal training versus density and classes and open to the public those kinds of things i think you got to look at it and try and figure out what you can and can't do I get nervous about violating the law. Uh, I, I don't want my insurance company not to cover any, any situations I have. I don't want to be fined. I don't want to have my reputation tarnished. I don't want to hurt our industry with looking like a rogue operator. So I, I play it straight. You know, if we're closed, we're closed. If we can carve out services, outdoor training, whatever we can do, let's go for it. But I'm against uh, pushing the envelope. I know desperation. A lot of people go, hey, what do I have to lose? I'm not going to make it. I get all that. Um, but uh, but it's a slippery slope once you start, you know, going against your local government ordinances law. Um, you know, we're, I'm in it for the long haul. And winning and staying open for six weeks versus alienating everybody in my community with regard to the legislators and health department and everybody else. And to me, it's not worth the gamble. Um,
1: yeah, there's, must- a, you know, there's, um, you, you, you think about you know, there's been talk of well what if everybody just opened at the same time what if everybody just you know ignored it and opened at the same time what what would they do and i and and from a in a practical sense like in the state of washington that would be hard for them to um do much about in king snohomish pierce counties what real populated counties. Here in Wenatchee, I'll tell you what they do. They'd be at my freaking front door within about 30 minutes with a, you know, with a cease and desist or whatever they're calling it now. And the ability to find up to $10,000 a day because in a community of this site, and we've seen that in central Washington. We had a few operators that just said, I can't make it. I've got to open. There are three locations down in Tri-Cities They're and all three of them, $10,000 fine first day out. So you really, you know, it's, it's one thing to talk these strategies and stuff. but man, you know, here it, when you're out in more rural areas and if that DOH or the labor and industry, this is really the, the, the force behind it, you're pretty damn visible and it's pretty easy to get to every one of you, you know?
0: <laughs> right. So another thing that some of the strategies are uh, doing uh, or just being discussed is filing lawsuits against uh, government uh, agencies and the elected officials. And obviously, there's several lines of thought around that, Uh, I can say from my experience thus far, those that have filed lawsuits have not come out in favor of clubs, they've either been dismissed outright, or in some cases, they just haven't been addressed yet. Um, And I know, and I think in California, I saw the latest brief on the claim there from an alliance in California that filed a lawsuit, and they have postponed any discussion about that right until January at the earliest um any thoughts from the group about the the approach of filing lawsuits to try and get some of this addressed
2: yeah i mean we we supported the california lawsuit um with california fitness alliance we're members of that um but i was never hopeful um governors have a tremendous amount of control of their states with regard to emergency declarations and um it's more of a do you think you can be a nuisance and them go they're not worth messing with let's just leave them alone they're they are good business they do no harm you know you know from that strategic point of view it makes a little bit of sense but um but it's very unlikely that we're going to be able to depose the governor which is one of the things we're trying to do or the alliance was trying to do you know that's that's very unlikely outcome and um and winning those is is typically not uh not uh easy yeah
0: yeah, we haven't seen that yet. I, I thought you nodding, Rachel. Do you have some a thought to add to this whole discussion around how clubs are that are in this desperate mindset are attacking this recent closure proposition?
3: Oh, no, not really. <laughs> I don't, I kind of agree with everything, just agreeing with what Bill was saying. No, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, it's a tough position to be in. I, I definitely wouldn't want to be a club operator. and I, You know, it's real hard. So what were you going to say, Blair?
1: well i've talked to a lot of club operators in our state and man if you're if you're sitting there and you can't pay your bills and you i don't begrudge you one bit and i hope they leave you alone i don't begrudge you one bit because uh you know look if you're gonna close my business then come buy my business and that's how i that's how i sort of think about even the, the this this stimulus money if you're gonna if you're gonna close it then and and you, you know if if a centralized government is designed for anything this is this it's now it's the time get together this is what you're supposed to do is right now and the thing that's really bothering me on like on the stimulus deal then i'll then i'll leave this alone it's not like okay now they've stopped talking about it they're a trillion dollars apart and they have time because you know pain is going to come 38 days from now no pain is happening right this hour right now people are going out of business right now people are laying off employees right before christmas and they need to they, anyway they, blair, I,
2: blair I, i'm with you 100 percent on that but I, you know there are certain states that are more litigious than others yeah. and you you know you may keep your business open but if you have an injury that results in millions of dollars worth of lawsuit and they go after you personally because you violated laws and your insurance company doesn't cover you, you're going to have a lot more than just a a LLC bankruptcy. You're going to have a personal debt that could bankrupt your family and so on. So you just got to be careful with the risk management strategy. I get it. I get desperation. I I get the unfairness. Um, But some States and, and some members and some employees can be more litigious than others. And, and one lawsuit can can have a lot more effect on your life than, than bankruptcy in an LLC.
0: So let's use the last uh, 15 minutes to uh, end on a positive note, if we can do that, <laughs> if that's possible. <laughs> uh, because uh, I know all five of us have discussed this, you know, separately and then collectively before the call. There is reason for optimism if you can make it if you can hang on through this latest round of shutdowns and uh, start the new year you know the news about uh the vaccines being available the efficacy of those the widespread availability of those by virtually all accounts you know that should be transpiring early next spring right Uh, that's what uh, all the news wires are suggesting is possible so we are going to get on the other side of this uh blair touched on it earlier that there's going to be opportunity because uh the contraction in our industry, there's gonna be more members out there looking for places to join perhaps. What are some of the other things that makes y'all optimistic about the other side of this?
1: Okay, so people craving getting together and not just not just from watching that, um, uh, that uh, rugby match, right? Not just from seeing that, but there was a small event in a small town outside of here. My general manager, she has, daughters and they had uh, they couldn't do this event at a school so somebody created a private football field and they were able to get out there and uh, and have this event from their from their local high school and she started to send me pictures and and you know she was in tears she was saying i can't believe how much we are missing and how good this feels to be sitting out here you know in these bleachers you're still a bit ways away but that people are sort of congregating here and that was sent me that sent a very strong signal to me that that to me started thinking you know people are going to want to get together and they're and you're already seeing it now you know argentina their approach was shut everything down before we have any cases back in february <laughs> months later it's the same thing look at their cases it's the same case as everybody else has right i mean and they're just under complete lockdowns. So still there so i'm optimistic that you know that that isn't going to go away and in fact it's going to be extremely strong that people are going to want to be someplace in person
0: yeah
4: absolutely yeah i agree with that and i really i've been saying since april or march i think that i really look forward to the day that we can all be together again celebrating and having events and if this is this has all been super weird and i have you know frankly hated it in some in many ways and i think uh Our role right now, no matter what industry you're in, your job is really to create a sense of normalcy and whether that's a virtual normalcy for clubs, you know, to create some kind of virtual environment or uh, just maybe take advantage of something different, reinvent yourself. I think that that's, that is our now. And that will carry us through to the first couple, through the first couple of months, we're going to be changing every single day. It seems like, you know, the 30 plus webinars that we've had, something is changing every single week, every single day. And I think that's going to continue. Uh, into next spring. And and we just, yeah, we look forward to the day that we can all be together again. But I think even up until then, it's gonna be ever changing.
3: Yeah, I think it's been encouraging to see a lot of clubs um, really look for the silver linings throughout this entire thing. Um, And you're seeing like, for example, clubs that never had reservation systems before, they're now realizing how much data that that actually provides on what exactly members are doing within their facilities. Um, and being really you know empowered and emboldened by that i think that's a great silver lining and um yeah just the level of innovation coming out and uh, is really encouraging um i think we're going to be you know if we can get through this i think the industry will be better at the end of the day once it's all over
2: yeah bill yeah i there's so many things um one is what industry are we in right um i think there's been a pivot that we're in the you know, active, healthy lifestyle industry and the wellness component and the efficacy of immunology and and exercise and activity and nutrition, that's kind of been at the forefront. You haven't heard a lot of people talking about um, appearance, you know, getting ready for beach season, you know, the the, the focus has been on the essential nature of our core product. Um, We've also kind of got to the point where we're really celebrating and, and giving our fitness professionals the status they deserve as the heroes. and and the secret sauce of a lot of our organizations right our group fitness instructors our personal trainers our fitness professionals um the need for us to have higher standards as an industry and i'm really proud of ursa what they're doing to to set up some standards and some some areas in that and i'm honored to be involved in some of that um but um but i think uh and then the last thing i'd say on that topic is we kind of reverted back to the beginning of the industry in a lot of ways when i first started in the industry i won't tell you how long ago that was but everybody did everything you sold the membership you took them through the workout at the end of the night you cleaned the club you everybody did everything all hands on deck we're all fitness professionals we're all here for the member we've got to get back to a little bit of that right you know whose job is it to do that tour well who's available whose job is it to clean the club right now who's available you know like so that all hands on deck team coming together job responsibilities melding into we all do whatever it takes i really think that's been a one of the positives in all of this about uh, how we approach our our operations totally
0: agree yeah i agreed with that 100 anyone else want to weigh in on that one
1: well i just I, I, everything that everybody shifted on everything that was mandated to us and how we had to react to rachel's point about reservations you know now think about how you clean today and think about what you require of your members don't you just kind of sit here and think why the hell didn't we think we do it at that level all the time why weren't we doing that and you, you think about what would be unacceptable before we got on the call christine brought up that her sister said to her my god can you believe that we used to actually have candles on a cake and somebody would blow their spit all over the cake <laughs> you know yeah uh, well, so that's sort of the moral equivalent of what a lot of our industry used to be like right <laughs> as far
2: well, as I'm, go ahead well, I'm stuck on the towels let me spend millions and millions and millions of dollars over the years on towels for showers whenever my one of my members has a towel at their house um so i'm really I know, I believe in workout towels. I love what you're doing with towels, cleaning towels, workout towels, but the shower towels, I'm like, why did we ever do that? And can we please not do that again? That's that's where I get (laughs) stuck. Yeah, we'll see.
0: Well, uh, you know, one of the things I think we've uh, learned in our industry is that we, to your point earlier, Bill, you said, you know, the people sort of on the outside, the end consumer and a lot of the elected officials don't view us in the light that we like to position and view ourselves as part of the healthcare continuum and part of the solution and all of that. And as we've all, you know, collectively wrung our hands about our plight right now. I point out to several groups, the unfortunate reality is there's only about 20, 22 percent of the U.S. population that belong to gyms or health clubs, which means the vast, vast majority, you know, almost 80 percent. They really don't care whether clubs and gyms are open or not. It, it has no meaning or connection to their daily lives. And we just have, we have to change that paradigm and we have to uh, change that message and the mindset of the end consumer if all the consumers were just being active and they would bought into their own wellness and how important it was uh, to be moving uh, in whatever way that is, inside a gym or out, I think we'd have a lot more clout. And that's something we've got of all collectively aspire to. We just, we have to turn the corner on the benefits of living an active uh, lifestyle and viewing wellness as something that's not just aspirational, that's part of everybody's daily lives. Until we really accomplish that, we're just not gonna sit where we wanna sit.
2: That's right. That's right, I think, I think on that note is, how many employees does our industry employ? Because we employ a lot of part-time people. I bet the is pretty dramatic. I don't know what it is. You know, How much do we pay in taxes in local communities? So not only do we provide an essential service that's underrated by outsiders that don't understand it, but we also create a lot of jobs and we create a lot of taxable um, revenue. So, from a legislative standpoint, it's not just we're a business selfishly trying to do our thing for 20% of the population. We're creating jobs and, and tax revenue and so on.
0: Yeah, exactly. Go ahead, Blair.
2: I don't remember what I was going to say now
1: that Bill interrupted me. <laughs> no. Sorry, Blair.
0: Wait a minute. <laughs>
1: No, that's you I say did. you didn't
0: know what you were going to say, or because you didn't say you didn't have anything to say, I don't think.
1: No, no, I got something to say, damn it. Um, the, but anyway, so,
2: Brent, where I was going with all of that. Uh,
1: <laughs> you know, Chuck, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, mention Chuck Runyon again because he brought this up earlier that, you know, his disappointment in and with the greatest platform in history in recent history, I would say the greatest platform in recent history, COVID-19, for the medical community to stand up and say, see, you better exercise, and they're not doing it. Not as a whole, you know? I mean, what better platform to try to activate an entire population than the one we're standing on right now? And that's why I think as we move through this and people kind of look back and sheepishly say, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have closed gyms, right? And if we can get more and more of the medical community to say, see, you need to exercise. I think that's going to be, uh, that's going to be very powerful. Now, as clubs, we have to be better. We can't just talk about wellness and results as marketing fodder. You know, when I say, you know, um, at, you know, sell them what they want, give them what you got. You know, I'll sell you what you want, but, you know, there's the room to go have at it. We got to right. be a lot better than that. We got to be a lot better. than
0: that. Well, we're just about out of time. I want to ask uh, at least one final question and I'll come to you, Rachel, first and then Christine. So, Rachel, again, you're the editor in chief at Club Solutions. Uh, You've been serving our industry fantastically through the pandemic. Uh, I really couldn't be more complimentary of Club Solutions and all the things that you've done, uh, including this webinar, Uh, you know, volunteering your time and your talents and your resources uh, to do it what uh, can the audience expect from club solutions as we close out uh, this year and enter next year? What can they look forward, what what can they expect from club solutions and what can they look forward to?
3: Yeah, well, wow. Thank you so much, Brent. I really appreciate those kind words. Um, Well, I mean, honestly, we're just going to continue to try to um, write articles, publish content, do webinars, um, virtual round tables that, you know, really seek to help, clubs navigate this very weird time. Um, and I am uh, I would love to hear from the audience as well. Please reach out to me if there are things that you think the club solutions can be doing that would be super beneficial to you. Um, I, you got, most of you probably have my email and I'll make sure that it's in the recap as well. But yeah, I would love to hear from everyone on if there's anything else that we could be doing to help during this time. But yeah, we'll just continue to you know, cover on the things that clubs are doing that have proved to be successful and ways that they're navigating things. And um yeah.
0: Okay. And Christine, what about uh with Ursa? Same. Ursa's been fabulous. Of course I'm on staff right now from Ursa, so it's a little bit self-serving, but uh, I'm only interim, so I'll be off Ursa staff before long too. Uh, But what can the group expect, you know, from Ursa as we close out the year and look forward uh, to 2021? Finally.
4: Yeah, well, I think uh, when you first asked the question, I was like, oh, well, how do I? I don't know how to pack that into, you know, just a couple of minutes because there's a lot that we're working on. When we really before shutdowns even started in the U.S., we had a crisis communications team that was formed to solely focus on these issues of crisis. Keeping clubs open is our number one priority and doing that safely is is extremely important. So I think our biggest issue has been making sure that the information that we have gets to the right people. So similar to what Rachel said, you know, reach out to us if there's something specific that you're looking for. Chances are we have it. We just have so much that it can be tough for you as the consumer to try to try to get that information, but um, you know, we, our goal is just to to provide as much information to the industry as possible and be as helpful as possible. So certainly reach out, but, you know, articles, research, we've got a ton that we're working on every single day. So we're okay. looking forward to 2021 though.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, and I'm going to give a little bit of a commercial to Rex Roundtables, which is a third member of this group. You know, Eddie Talk leads that group. He's been tremendously supportive. Um, Bill, Blair, myself, all are on Rex roundtables um, and have been for years, Um, and we meet regularly with those groups, and I have to say, they're some of the top performing clubs, and when you get in a crisis like this where you can share ideas, uh, a word that the three of us have used is lightning speed, right, we're sharing ideas at lightning speed about, hey, try this, oh, I did this, this worked, to make this video, or, you know, try this approach, So if you're not involved with the Rex Roundtable, I mean, there's a lot of value there. And it's never been more evident, really, I think, than through the pandemic. Uh, And then finally, to my uh, uh, co-guest stars here, Bill and Blair, uh, again, to remind the audience, Bill and Blair have donated their time and their energy uh, and their expertise for the benefit of all of you now for these 30, what is it, 35 weeks, I think we came up with. You know, I mean, it's a it's a lot of time. They're busy guys. They're running, uh, you know, uh, really big operations and their expertise is worth a lot. And they've been offering it freely. And I just wanted to acknowledge them. Uh, you know, Blair, as I say in the introduction, you know, he's the CEO of MXM and Medallia product. And uh, that's a big business in and of itself, as well as the clubs that he's trying to run. Uh, And yet he still volunteers his time. And Bill, CEO of Active Wellness, you know, he's got all these clubs all over the country going through all these challenges that we're all so familiar with. And yet he shows up every week uh, and he read through every one of the notes of all the 35 weeks last night. So he'd be prepared today. So I just can't thank all of you enough uh, for your willingness to share with the industry. Uh, as well as the audience. So, uh, Bill, I'll let you and Blair give a maybe a little closing thought and then I'll close it out. Go ahead, Bill.
2: Um, So, I want to thank the Active Wellness team for all they've done to provide content that I've shared with this. You know, I'm not sitting around creating everything we've done and shared. You know, it comes from other people. Um, Rachel, Christine, you guys have been amazing. Blair, Brent, amazing. Um, Brent, I want to give you just a shout out on your role with Ursa as the interim CEO. Um, What you've done in such a short period of time of bringing everybody under the tent and umbrella with all the other trade associations, working collaboratively, raising the game, managing the finances of of our association with your team there. Um, You got a great board of directors working with you. You got a great staff and management team working with you. Uh, but you're doing a great job in, uh, and I want to thank you on behalf of, of myself and, and the industry because um, it really, it really has been impactful in such a short period of time. And then, uh, you know, going forward, be kind, be kind to everybody out there. Thank um,
1: you, Just uh, Thanks to everybody. The, the You know, Rachel has been like a, a sister to me for about the past five years or so. It's been awesome to get to know Christine. Bill and I have been very close friends. Brent and I have been very close friends. I would just wanna, I wanna reiterate what Bill said. Brent, you're having an impact on the industry. Thank you.
0: Yep. Yep, right back to you, I appreciate it. And uh, this is our final uh, show, at least for this year. Collectively, we've talked about perhaps uh, bringing back the webinar uh, in January. If there seems to be demand and interest out there, uh, we've enjoyed it. Uh, So we volunteered our time, but we've also had a lot of fun. Uh, Thanks mostly to Bill and Blair. I'm really not much fun myself. We've all agreed on that fact, Uh, but nevertheless, I have enjoyed it. So to all of you from all of us, we hope uh, you enjoy next week uh, with your families. uh, Thanksgiving, don't get too carried away with the numbers, but nevertheless, uh, enjoy those relationships. And thanks for coming in each week and joining us. And we hope to see you uh, in the new year. All the best. As always, thank you. be the salt and the light. Thanks,
3: everybody. Right, thank you. Thank right. you. Bye. Everyone. Bye.